0: Well, over the past few weeks, we've been considering the truth that Jesus is the gift of God to us. He is, in fact, the greatest gift ever given. This morning, we will consider another passage in John's Gospel, John chapter 10, where Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. Biblically, the term shepherd was used both to refer to the profession, obviously the profession of those who keep sheep, as well as a reference to the leaders of one's nation. The leaders of the nation were referred to as shepherds as they were given the charge of caring for the nation as a shepherd cares for sheep. I think our contemporary concept of national leaders is a far cry from this. Leadership that we see around the world ranges from those who are completely inept to those who are brutal and authoritarian, Our own nation's leadership as a product of our democratic government tends to be driven more by the desire to appease the sentiment of the masses than to lead. And that's on both sides of the political spectrum. The thought that we consider our national leaders as shepherds would confuse people at best and likely send them into hysterics. that was the expectation that God had for the shepherds, the leaders of his people. They were supposed to lead the people of God to God as if they were shepherds caring for sheep. Jesus, having been sent by God for this purpose, indicates in our text this morning that he is the good shepherd. He's not like those worthless shepherds, those uncaring shepherds, those self-centered shepherds. He is the good shepherd and what makes him the good shepherd is the care and oversight that he gives to his sheep. Well, let's take a look at the passage in John chapter 10. I'll read verses 1 through 29 and then we'll look at a number of points together this morning. John chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is possessed, oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? At the time of the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem at that time, It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense if you are the Christ? Tell us plainly. Jesus said to them, I told you, and you do not believe. The words that I do, the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word, which is true, your word, which sanctifies us. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts collectively be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, you are our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, any national leader takes a stand on the issues. These are called his platform. Inherent in a person's platform are commitments that person will take to achieve the goals. What do they stand for? How are they going to make it happen? These verses represent Jesus's platform as the good shepherd. These verses give us a clue as to what he believes are the major issues and how he is going to solve them for his people, how he's going to lead them as a shepherd of his people. There are five commitments here, in other words, of the good shepherd, and we'll look at each one in turn. Before we get to the first point, I'll just give you a synopsis of the context. We read from verse one, but there's a lot more to the context than just verse one. In the previous section, we saw that there was a man born blind from birth, and Jesus, for his part, healed this man on the Sabbath. The man was questioned as to how this came about. His parents were questioned. He was questioned again, and as a result, he was subsequently kicked out of the synagogue by the Jewish leaders because he expressed faith in Jesus. And of course, they did not have faith in Jesus and wanted nothing to do with Jesus. But this poor man who had been born blind was miraculously healed and subsequently kicked out of his local congregation by the leadership because he put his faith in the person who healed him, believing that God is the only one who would be able to do something like that. It is in this context, in the context of Jesus observing this poor man being kicked out of the synagogue for putting his faith in what God, only God could do, it is in this context that Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. The shepherds of the people of God again were supposed to care for them as a shepherd cares for his flock. And we already read earlier for our scripture reading from Ezekiel chapter 34 when God chastises the shepherds or the leaders of Israel for not caring for their people. Again, Ezekiel 34. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should shepherds not feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And so God acknowledges that the people were supposed to be led and cared for by those whom he appointed as leaders, but they were not doing their job. And this has been going on for hundreds of years, from Ezekiel's day even up into Jesus' day. And God promises in that passage that he's not going to leave his people alone, but that he will act. I will rescue my sheep from their mounds. I, my self, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them. I will bring them back out of the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them into their land. I will feed them. I will feed them with good pasture. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. You hear the promise in that passage in Ezekiel. God is not willing for his people to go long with poor, worthless shepherds. He says, I will do something about that. Israel's shepherds were supposed to care for his people. But that's not what we see. Again, in John chapter 10, we see that Israel's shepherds have just excommunicated a man after he was healed on the Sabbath. And after he expressed faith in what God had done through Jesus, they should have welcomed him. They should have continued to care for him. But Jesus says, I have to respond now. So again, we see his five commitments in this passage, starting in verse 11. His first commitment as the good shepherd is to sacrifice for the sheep. Verses 11 through 13. There again, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. Again, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. In other words, not like those other kinds of shepherds. Again, he talks about those other kinds of shepherds, those qualitatively poor shepherds, those worthless shepherds, multiple times already. I read verses 1 through 10. There he indicates that those poor and worthless shepherds are thieves and murderers of the sheep. They rob the sheep. They murder the sheep for their own gain. Again, that Ezekiel 34 passage coming forward in John's writings. In verses 12 and 13, the poor and worthless shepherds are those whom Jesus describes as seeing danger and themselves running away instead of protecting the sheep. They function like a hired hand. Again, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who's not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. You get the picture, right? The hired hand has no vested interest in the sheep, but only in their paycheck. He has no genuine care for the sheep other than his occupation. Thus, the moment trouble arises, he flees. And again, the poor, worthless shepherds whom Jesus described in chapter 10 are those who have just put a man out of the synagogue for having put his faith in Jesus As Jesus is doing the works of God we all know people who lead in that way right those whose chief concern is only themselves those who seek power and prestige of the position as an end rather than a means to care for others we have used the term public servant in the past to describe political offices and those whose job it is to take care of the people but we can't really use that term any longer Thinking about our national leaders and considering all the most recent election cycles, it seems clear that those who are striving political office are doing so to prove something for themselves. They're doing it for the sake of the position what it'll, and what it'll afford them, rather than doing it for the value of the people. Everyone says they're for the people before they're elected, but usually by the end of their term, they start talking about the things that they've accomplished and what their legacy is going to be, how they'll be remembered in history. Jesus, for his part, is a qualitatively better shepherd because his focus is not on himself, but rather on the people. Again, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He's not there to provide for himself first, to feed himself first, to see that his well-being is taken care of first, to flee from danger in order to care for himself. As the good shepherd, he willingly lays down his life for the sheep. He sacrifices for them. He puts his life on the line to protect theirs. In our passage, of course, Jesus is referring to his death on the cross for the people of God. This was clearly on his mind. Verse 11, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 15, I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17, I lay down my life. Verse 18, I lay it down. Again, when you talk about public service or servant leadership, what better illustration is there than this? Jesus is not asking anything from his sheep. He's not seeking first his own benefit. He's seeking that which benefits them. He willingly lays down his life for them. What message, what promise can a man or woman give that would trump that? Better wages for the middle class? Unrestricted access to health care for women to end the lives of countless millions of babies? Better gun laws or no gun laws? A border wall? What's better than, I will lay down my life for you? Jesus says, I will do that. I'll lay down my life for my sheep. He doesn't lay down his life for those who are not sheep. He doesn't lay down his life for wolves. He doesn't lay down his life for oxen. He lays down his life for his sheep. We talk about the extent of the atonement in theology. Look at verse 12. Part of the emphasis in the description of the hired hand is that the hired hand is not the owner of the sheep which means by implication that the good shepherd is the owner of the sheep. That's why he goes through such lengths to care for them. They are his sheep. And so he lays down his life to protect them. We talked about this last week when we looked at John's, John 6, where Jesus is called the bread of life. Jesus says there in John 6, I said, to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. This is the will of Him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. The Father has given a gift to the Son. We've been talking about this all along, as we've thought about who Jesus is and his relationship with his Father. The Father has given a gift to the Son. The gift the Father has given to the Son is a gift of people. People from every tribe and tongue and nation, God has selected from all over the face of the earth. He selected some to give as a gift to his son. And he gives the son the responsibility to give his life for them so that he may raise them up on the last day. The sacrificial substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross was the laying down of his life for his sheep. This is the very foundation of his ministry as the good shepherd. It is the seal of his ministry. If Jesus had a slogan, a phrase to garner support and heighten allegiance for his cause as the leader, the shepherd whom God has chosen, it would be this. I lay down my life for my sheep. To be a Christian then is to trust in Jesus as your good shepherd, as the one who laid down his life for you. As Paul says in Galatians 2.20, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The good shepherd sacrifices for the sheep because they are his sheep. They are his sheep and he has an intimate relationship with them. That leads us to our next point. The good shepherd knows the sheep in verses 14 and 15. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, even as a father knows me. And I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now we know the idea of to know here is more of a relational knowledge than simple head knowledge due to what he says in the second part of that verse. Even as the father knows me and I know the father, he's talking about relationship. Now I know the president of the United States and I know my brother, but I don't know the president of the United States in the same way that I know my brother. I have a relationship with my brother that is far beyond just the cognitive head knowledge of who he is as an individual person. Jesus says, I have a certain kind of relationship with my father. And in the same way that I know my father, I know my sheep. The sheep shepherd relationship is helpful here. I've read someone who observed shepherds called their sheep from a mixed fold at times shepherds would bring their sheep to a a communal fold a large area where it would be fenced off you kind of heard a little bit of that as we read through the first part of chapter 10 there's this communal fold where multiple sheep folds are brought in to stay perhaps for the night for the week whatever it might be and so all of these sheep from all of these different folds are mixed in But when it's time to go, the shepherd of the sheep, all they have to do is call out to their sheep. They call out to their sheep and only their sheep come forth because their sheep hear their voice and they know their voice and they only respond to their voice. That's what Jesus is driving at here. He says, it's the shepherd's responsibility to know and care for all of his sheep. The good ones, the bad ones, the clean ones, the dirty ones. Jesus says, I know and I care for all of my sheep. If one falls over, I'm quick to help. Sheep literally cannot right themselves when they fall over. They need someone to help pick them up. If one wanders off, he's quick to go after them. Leave the 99 for the one. It occurred to me as I was studying through this, it's, it's very comforting for us when we're the one, but I wonder if we're just as comforted when We're in the 99 and the shepherd has to go after that one, right? Jesus does that because he cares for his sheep, all of his sheep. He knows who he came to die for. He knows them with the same intimacy that the father shares with him. Again, this is Psalm 139 kind of language. You know, when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it together. You form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, you saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious are your thoughts, O God. How vast the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than sand. I awake, and I am with you. He says also in that text, where can I go? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to Sheol, you're there. I can't even hide in the dark. Darkness and light are alike to you. You see me. You know me. That's the intimate knowledge that the father has, that the son has, that Jesus has for his sheep. I like this quote as I was reading through and studying for this passage. The author says the idea is that a familiarity He says, Jesus knows us in the most profound ways. He knows our past with its failures, its hurts. He knows our present, our unrealized longings. He knows us in the most intimate ways. He knows our idiosyncrasies. He calls us by our characteristics. I wonder sometimes if he calls us some of the things that we would not want to be called. <laughs> Shepherds tend to call their sheep by name based on their characteristics, based on some of the things that they do. One might be called long nose or black ear or fluffy. It's quite possible that he calls us affectionately grumpy or fearful or faithless. <laughs> End quote. But the reality is that even though he knows all these things about us, he still what? He still lays down his life for us. I know my own, and my own know me, and I lay down my life for the sheep. He didn't die for perfect sheep. He died for flawed sheep. He died for weak, helpless sheep. He died for us. Moreover, the text says, I know my own, and my own know me. I know my own, and my own know me. His sheep Jesus's sheep know him. To the believer, Jesus is not simply an idea to be heard. He's not simply a character in a story. He is a person. And those who know him, know him as they know any other person and know that they ought to seek to know him better as they ought to seek to know better any other person. This is the effect of the gospel. This is what it means to be Christian. Not to think in some vague way, oh, I think there is a God and I think there is a Jesus, but rather to know them, to know Jesus Christ as an actual person with whom you can talk and to whom you should listen, to know him as your good shepherd. Jesus says in John 17, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I wonder, do you know him in this way? Do you know the one who is called the good shepherd in this way? Do you know his voice? Do you know and believe that when you're listening to his voice, when you're listening to the word of God, you're hearing the voice of your good shepherd? Have you trusted him that way? Well, the good shepherd sacrifices for the sheep. The good shepherd knows the sheep. The good shepherd gathers the sheep. Look at verse 16. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Remember, Jesus is contrasting his role as the good shepherd with that of the false shepherds. The false shepherds failed to feed and care for the sheep. Thus the sheep scattered and fell into danger. Jesus, on the other hand, loves his sheep. He loves them so much that he willingly lays down his life for them. As a good shepherd, he not only lays down his life for them, but he also goes in search of his sheep. He seeks them out. This should remind us again of the truths we read from Ezekiel 34. God is committed to seeking out his sheep. I read that earlier. I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. I seek my sheep. I rescue them. I will bring them. Jesus is saying to them, this is me. In the words of Ezekiel, that's me. I am the good shepherd. The promise of God from all the way back in Ezekiel's time, the prophet Ezekiel, I am the one who uttered those words. You should trust in me. not only of the lost sheep of Israel, he says, this fold, but also others. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. There are other sheep who are sheep in the same way that the first group are sheep, and yet they are not of this fold. And again, these other sheep for whom Jesus refers are sheep that he will also lay down his life for. He says, I must bring them. Jesus has no choice. The choice has already been made for him of who the sheep are going to be. His duty is simply to bring them. And the sheep themselves really have no choice. They have been chosen, designated as sheep. And he says, they will hear my voice when I call to them, and they will come to me. And he'll make them one flock with one shepherd. It is God's desire to reach people from all families, from every tribe and tongue and nation. That language of every tribe and tongue and nation is something we see frequently throughout Scripture. Sometimes it's confusing when we read through the Old Testament and we hear of only one family, the family of Israel. And then we get to the New Testament and we hear of this one family again, Israel. And all we hear is Israel, Israel, Israel. But the point is not Israel. The point is that God intends to use Israel to work through Israel as the Messiah Jesus came through Israel to reach all of the families of the earth. The gospel goes forth the Messiah goes forth into the world and the gospel of the Messiah goes forth through the house of Israel in order to reach every tribe and tongue and nation so that he may create one flock and have one shepherd over that one flock. This is the language of Ephesians chapter 2. And we studied through that chapter probably a number of months ago now. Paul says, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, Gentiles meaning not Jewish, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by human hands. Remember, at that time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, who is our good shepherd, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off. Peace to those who are near for a, Through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So you're no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place, for God, by the Spirit, God, through the church, is creating the, shepherd, the the one flock for his good shepherd to lead and to guide. The only genuine lasting unity that may exist among men is unity in and by the Holy Spirit of God in the church of Jesus Christ. As a good shepherd, Jesus has come to gather his sheep in order that they may be one, and he's done that in the church of Jesus Christ. He himself is our peace. Again, this is what Jesus prayed for in his high priestly prayer in John 17. I do not ask for these only, referring to his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you have loved me. I try to emphasize as we study through Ephesians that this is our calling as a church. Even as the Catonsville Baptist Church, we exist to preserve the unity of the Spirit as we make disciples for the glory of God. We do that because we have one good shepherd who has called us into his flock for his glory and to follow him. Our fourth point, the good shepherd pleases the one who sent him for the sheep, verses 17 and 18. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Well, again, what makes Jesus the good shepherd? Yes, it is because he lays down his life for the sheep, but it's more than that. The quality of being a good shepherd is not a designation that Jesus takes on himself Remember, again, the contrast is between the worthless shepherds, the false shepherds, and himself. He is the good shepherd because opposed to the others, he does what the Father sent him to do. For this reason, the Father loves me. This is not the first time we've heard this truth in the gospel of John. John 335, for the father loves the son and has given all things into his hands. John 520, for the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. The father loves me, he says. He's given everything to me. He shows me all that he, that he does. He has charged me to lay down my life for my sheep and I do it. The father loves me for this reason. Obedience to the Father, pursuing His good pleasure was Jesus' primary goal in life. That's why He came to lay down his life for the sheep. Ultimately, it wasn't about you or me. Jesus did it because he loves his father, and he wanted to obey his father's will. Just as the father loves the son, so the son loves the Father. John 14:31, "I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father." John 4.34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. John 6.38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This was always on Jesus' mind from the very beginning, to do the will of his father. Full obedience of Jesus to his father, his perfect obedience, his unswerving commitment to fulfill the law and the word of God of his father is alone what makes him the perfect sacrifice for sin. Hebrews chapter 10, it says, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. The blood of bulls and goats can never fully take away sins. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you take no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I've come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have not desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, These were offered according to the law then he added behold I've come to do your will he does away with the first in order to establish the second and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all Jesus came to do the will of his father and he did that in a body that was prepared for him he shed his blood on the cross in order to obey his father to do his will we call him again Jesus Christ the righteous first john chapter 2 verse 1 because he always obeyed the will of his father that's what makes him the perfect sacrifice the language of a lamb being unblemished and spotless you don't want to give a dirty worthless wretched poor weak and sick lamb you give the best lamb from the flock as an offering god sent his best And his best was his holy, righteous, perfectly obedient son. Back in our text, as is typical, the crowds were divided over Jesus. Jesus did die to bring together his one flock, one from this fold and one from another. He makes the two into one. And yet the truth of who Jesus is still divides people today as the text moves on. We see a division of those who could not figure out who Jesus was. They should have known by his works the healing of the blind man and his words, Jesus declaring himself as the good shepherd in fulfillment of Ezekiel 34, that he was the Messiah, but they didn't quite get it. Moving forward in the text to the time of the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, this is modern-day Hanukkah. The Jews seem to corner Jesus and press him to declare exactly who he is, if he is in fact the Christ. From here, Jesus merely reiterates the truth that he said earlier. He said earlier, I know my own and my own know me. And here he will say, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. You don't believe because you're not of my sheep. Jesus affirms again his intimate personal relationship with his sheep and provides one additional commitment as the good shepherd. As his final statement Safe for the first where he stated that he laid down his life for the sheep, this is probably one of the most encouraging for me personally. In verses 27 through 29, the good shepherd keeps the sheep. He keeps the sheep. Again, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. How does the good shepherd keeps the sheep? Well, first he keeps them through his word. He said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Again, this speaks of that close personal relationship between a shepherd and a sheep. One author said this, our 24. 20th century image is very far from the first century picture of sheep in that age shepherding was an intimate occupation the Palestinian shepherd did not drive his sheep he went before them he led his sheep and while sheep were indeed raised by some for food and sacrifices more often sheep were raised for wool a shepherd would typically tend his sheep for years calling each of his flock by name it was a highly personal occupation This is the imagery here. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd, and he leads his sheep today by means of his word. And we haven't discussed the role of the pastor-shepherd in the life of the New Testament church this morning because the focus is not on a pastor, but it's on the good shepherd. But in order to keep his sheep, God has gifted the church with under-shepherds, those whom he sent to function in a similar way to what has been described already as leaders among God's people. I've said this before, but the primary means of shepherding that God gives to pastors is the word of God. That's why pastors are gifted to handle the word, why their focus should be on preaching and teaching in season and out of season, as Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4. This is why they're responsible for equipping the saints for the work of service by means of the word of God, Ephesians 4. This is why pastors are, are supposed to see all of the word of God as profitable for reproof, correction, and training in righteousness and not to rely on conjecture, emotion, or opinion, 2 Timothy 3. Pastors do not lay down their lives for sheep as a good shepherd does, but they are to know the sheep, to gather the sheep, endeavor to please the one who sent us to the sheep, sh- the sheep, and to keep them through his word. For the sheep for their part, those who belong to Christ, should hear in his word the words of their good shepherd. They're given life to obey Jesus. To obey his words. First Peter chapter 1 verse 2. To those who are elect, Peter writes, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ, he says. We see the power of God in his word. First Corinthians one for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We should long for the word of God. First Peter two, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow into salvation. If you have tasted that the Lord is good. We should meditate on it day and night. Psalm one. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. We cling to the word of God as our only offensive weapon to be wielded by the spirit in spiritual warfare. Ephesians chapter 6, we take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit, which is the word of God. One more, we teach one another through the word of God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another In all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Those who have trusted Jesus as their good shepherd will believe and obey the word of God. They will not avoid the word. They will prioritize the word. The gathering of believers around the word when the word of God is preached, they will prioritize the word in their lives throughout the week, give attention to it, reading it, praying over it, calling others to read and pray. True sheep prioritize the word of God because they find in the word of God the words of their good shepherd. You see around us a whole generation of those who discard the word of God because it's not modern enough. That Second Timothy 4 generation, those with itching ears. They say that people, the people, the masses have spoken in regards to morality, homosexuality, transgenderism. And because this people have spoken in regards to these and other things, there's no further need to listen to the word of God. But that should never be true for anyone who professes to know the good shepherd. If you know Jesus as the good shepherd, then you ought to obey him. As I've said before, to be a Christian is to see Jesus as your good shepherd, is to see him as the one who has secured your salvation by his substitutionary death on the cross. And if he is your good shepherd, the one who laid down his life for you, then you will follow him. You'll hear his voice as he leads you forward to green pastures, and you will desire to obey his voice. And how does a good shepherd keep the sheep? He keeps them by his word, but he also keeps them by his will. Back in our text, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Listen again to these words. There's no doubt, no hesitation, no uncertainty. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. There are no thieves No robbers, no evil. There's nothing under God's creation. Remember, the word of God made flesh is the one who's speaking. The one through whom all things were made, he is the good shepherd. And he is the one who makes this promise that nothing in all of God's creation, the creation that came through him, through the eternal word of God, nothing can touch you if he holds you in his hands. This truth is the foundation of Romans chapter eight. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who interceding for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sakes we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, he says, that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. One author said, is one of the most precious things about the Christian faith that our continuance in eternal life depends not on our feeble hold of Christ, but on his firm grip on us. He says we should notice that the teaching of these verses is not that believers will be saved from all earthly disaster, but that they will be saved no matter what earthly disaster may befall. In case it wasn't enough that Jesus said, I, no one can snatch them from my father's hand. Again, back in our text, he says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. You should get the picture by now. The sheep, believers, are given to the Son by the Father. They are placed in the fold by the Father. They are elected, chosen, handpicked, set apart to be a part of this fold by the Father. And no one's greater than him. No one's more powerful, more mighty than the Almighty God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one responsible for our election and sanctification unto Christ. Thus, it is utterly impossible for anyone to move us from his sovereign hand. And if not from his, then certainly not from Christ. I've used this illustration with my kids frequently. We would, when they were very young, we would walk at times going walks through the snow. And, you know, sometimes it'd be difficult for them to get their little feet through the, the hard packed snow. But I would hold on their hand. And they might be a little worried or a little concerned of stumbling. But I would assure them, I'm holding onto your hand. I'm bigger than you. I'm stronger than you. I should be, Right. Because I'm holding you, you will not fall. You may stumble, but you will not fall because I have you in my hand. And that's what our good shepherd is saying to us this morning. He says it doesn't matter how many times you stumble. It doesn't matter what may happen in the, in the world around us might fall apart. But you will never be plucked from my hand. Because I am your good shepherd. I wonder what greater confidence is there. What greater assurance can any man or woman give to you to calm your soul in this volatile world in which we live? What greater promise and confidence is there than the words of your good shepherd that you'll never perish from his grip? As you consider the gift of God this Christmas, remember, again, that the gift of God is not simply a baby lying in a manger. It is the gift of a good shepherd. He sacrifices himself for the sheep. He knows the sheep intimately. He gathers his sheep. He pleases the one who sent him for the sheep. He, the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, by his power and the authority of his word, keeps every one of his sheep who have put their trust in him. Have you trusted in him this morning? Have you trusted him today? Do you see him as the kind of shepherd that you need for your soul? If you haven't trusted him today, you should. Today is the day of salvation. If you have trust in him already, rest in him and rejoice in him. Celebrate him as the good shepherd that he is. And for the blessing that it is to know him, give glory to him this Christmas season. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the privilege and opportunity we've had to come before your word. Thank you for the reminder of this truth that Jesus is our good shepherd. The good shepherd who has given his life for his sheep. The good shepherd who knows his sheep intimately. Who calls each one of us by name. The good shepherd who gathers his sheep. The good shepherd who keeps his sheep. We're grateful for Jesus, our good shepherd, as we continue to worship today. As we continue to worship this week. As we continue throughout this season. Help us. To remember and to rejoice in Jesus Christ, our good shepherd. We pray this in his blessed name. Amen.